Hello, and welcome to Managing the Mitten podcast, the podcast that discusses all things property management. I'm your host, Morgan Detvey, and today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, a little controversial, and that's service animals and emotional support animals. Now, you may be thinking, why is that topic controversial? Well, in the property management world and real estate world, this is a highly debated topic between landlords' rights and tenants' rights. Uh, from the viewpoint of the landlord, a lot of them are worried that there's going to be damages from a pet, health concerns if they're not properly cared for. And uh, in addition, there's a lot of tenants out there abusing the provision of service animals, emotional support animals. Checking in. You know it. Go ahead and place any bags or pets on the scale, please. No problem. I cannot allow that animal to board the plane. Oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. She's, she's a service animal. Uh, that makes it really hard for people that truly need the provision. Um, and it's also very difficult for landlords to know how to navigate that uh, and to know what they can ask and, um, you know, uh, do they have to allow it? So we're going to dig in um, to this topic. And to start, I want to make sure that you understand the difference between service animals and emotional support animals. Now, um, you may be thinking, aren't they the same thing? Well, no, actually, in fact, there are three different types of animals. Um, we're going to focus today on emotional support and service animals because those seem to be the uh, main ones, but you should still know um, all different, all the different types. Um, so first service dogs, um, they are uh, defined by the ADA as any dog trained to perform a task for an individual with a disability. So think of your seeing eye dog or a dog that retrieves medication for someone. Emotional support animals, or ESA, as I'm going to say throughout the podcast, is an animal that is medically prescribed to provide therapeutic benefits through companionship. Um, and then the third is therapy dogs. Those are dogs that provide therapy as a form of treatment. Uh, maybe you've seen a dog visiting patients at a hospital or working with our veterans. That would be a therapy dog. So these titles are sometimes used interchangeably, even though they have very different uh, definitions. Um, and I'm going to break down the differences between the three, um, actually just the two. The therapy dogs um, don't get special rights and they're only permitted where people invite them to come. So they're really not a problem when it comes to rental housing. But the other, uh, other two uh, are ones that we're going to talk about today. So first, service animals. They are not a pet. They are protected under the ADA, the FHA, and the IDEA Section 504. The ADA defines a service animal as any dog. So if it's a cat, bird, rabbit, sorry, it's not a service animal. That's a real quick indicator to know whether you're talking about a service animal or emotional support animal. Um, the uh, service dog 
Uh, you might be thinking, oh, that's easy, easy to pinpoint because I uh, always see them wearing a vest or I've seen them in stores, you know, wearing a vest that says working. Um, well, that is true. Sometimes they do. However, it's not a great indicator on whether it is an actual service animal or not. As service animals are not required to wear any vest or to uh, have anything labeling them as a service animal. A service animal must be individually trained to do work or perform a task for the handler. And because of this training, uh, most service animals, they can avoid distractions, sit very still. They almost never bark or whine. They don't eliminate indoors. They don't steal food. They never show signs of unprovoked aggression. Um, another uh, interesting thing is that no documentation has to be provided for a service animal. Though it has to be trained, it doesn't need documentation on the training that the animal has had. And uh, contrary to what Google will tell you, there is actually no registry currently to verify whether it is a legitimate service animal or not. Um, when it comes to a service animal and uh, being protected federally through the ADA and FHA, housing providers are permitted to ask two and only two questions when someone says they have a service animal. The first one is, is the animal required due to a disability? And the second one is, what work or task has your dog been trained to do? That's it. If they answer yes to the first one and then explain the training um, that the animals had, you must allow the service animal in your rental home or plane or restaurant. It has to be allowed. Now, since they're, uh, they are not pets, you cannot charge a pet fee, a pet deposit. You can't uh, apply additional rent because you're worried about damages. Um, anything that you would stipulate for a pet would go away in this case because it is not a pet. Now, let's move on to emotional support animals so we can understand the differences. Uh, well, for one, they're similar and they're, they're not a pet. So ESAs are also not a pet. Um, unlike the service animals that are federally protected, the emotional support animal is considered a reasonable accommodation under the Fair Housing Act. According to HUD's 2020 guidance on this, they said that the ESA can be any animal commonly kept in a household. So dog cat, bird, hamster, fish, if it's commonly kept in a home, then it can be classified as an ESA. ESAs do not need any type of training. So where your service dog is going to be trained to perform a task for the handler, the ESA doesn't need any training whatsoever. It provides its emotional support through companionship alone. A tenant uh, requesting a reasonable accommodation should put their request in writing. However, contrary to popular belief, it is not required that they do so. You can't force them to put it in writing. They can make the request verbally if they choose. This request can be made uh, before moving in, during the lease, or even after you've given them a violation for a pet. Um, and that's a tricky one. Um, it doesn't matter to HUD when they make the uh, request. You have to consider it. Um, a tenant requesting um, a reasonable accommodation can be asked uh, two questions um, from a housing provider. The first one is, is the animal required because of physical or mental impairment or disability? So it's a little longer than the first uh, sentence, but basically, or the first question for a service animal, but it's basically establishing whether there is a physical or mental disability that this animal is prescribed for. And then the second question, well, I guess it's not so much of a question, but it's an observation. If it is an obvious uh, disability, then you would stop right there and the ESA would need to be granted based on the first question and the obvious disability. 
If it is not an obvious disability, then the housing provider can ask for information supporting the disability from the tenant. So the applicant would need to provide this information. Now, what information are they providing since we can't technically ask about their disability? Well, HUD defines that information as a letter from a licensed healthcare professional that is currently treating the tenant. A relationship between the disability and the animal must be provided. If you've received that, that documentation from their doctor, and they've obviously stated yes, that they have a disability, then the request to allow the emotional support animal should be granted. Similar to the service animal, you can still not charge any pet fees, no de additional deposits. Um, you can't charge anything um, or place any restrictions uh, on the animal uh, because it is not a pet. Um, so let's cover, now that we kind of separated uh, the differences between the two, let's cover some facts about both of these animals. Um, so we've covered that you can't uh, charge any fees, but also you cannot uh, put any uh, restrictions onto these pets, meaning if uh, it's a certain breed or there's a certain size that you would typically allow for a pet and it exceeds that. It doesn't matter when it comes to a service animal and emotional support animal. Unless that specific animal has posed a threat to you or the property or another person, you cannot deny that. Um, that ESA just based on a bias or something of an aggressive breed. Um, now, the tenant is still responsible for their pet at all times. So don't think just because it's a service animal or an ESA that the landlord is going to be stuck with whatever damage that may come from that animal. They are still responsible for that. And a housing provider could, should charge for damages and deduct from the security deposit just as they normally would. Um, a reasonable accommodation uh, request may also require a reasonable accommodation to be made to a zoning law, an HOA rule, or a co-op rule. Um, a service animal, since federally protected, will always be allowed regardless of those types of rules um, or even a municipality ban. But a reasonable accommodation request uh, to you as a housing provider may also require one be made to a municipality. If a reasonable accommodation request provided under the framework of HUD's guidance uh, would cause a uh, housing provider a undue financial burden or a hardship, then you may be able to deny the request for emotional support animals since that's considered a reasonable accommodation. The request can't, um, can't demand an unreasonable financial burden of a landlord. Um, but instead of just denying them and not allowing them, it should be an interactive process and you should engage with the applicant to make those points known on why you would be denying it. Um, it should, uh, you know, result in a meeting um, to see if there's another alternative um, to maybe assess the individual's disability related needs. So, for example, if an owner um, wants to deny a tenant from having an emotional support uh, cat because it's allergic to cats and if they have to go into the home, home um, you know, after the tenant moves out, there's a risk of allergies. Well, maybe uh, through an engagement or a meeting with the applicant, you discover that they would pay to replace the carpet or they would pay to have, uh, you know, it uh, professionally cleaned and the ducts cleaned. So um, if it's going to be too much of a hardship, you can deny it. However, it should be an interactive engaged meeting between the applicant and housing provider. Now, as I stated earlier, the provision for a service animal or ESA is often abused. How? Well, since many disabilities are not easily observed, people have purchased fraudulent letters online and are duping housing providers into believing that the reasonable accommodation is required. 
HUD has recognized that this became an issue uh, and they issued this warning here. Some websites sell certificates, registrations, and licensing documents for assistant animals to anyone who answers certain questions or participates in a short interview and pays a fee. Under the Fair Housing Act, a housing provider may request reliable documentation when an individual requesting a reasonable accommodation has a disability and disability-related need for an accommodation that are not obvious or otherwise known. In HUD's experience, such documentation from the internet is not by itself sufficient to reliably establish that an individual has a non-observable disability or disability-related need for an assistance animal. By contrast, many legitimate licensed healthcare professionals deliver services remotely, including over the internet. One reliable form of documentation is a note from a person's healthcare professional that confirms a person's disability and or need for an animal when the provider has personal knowledge of the individual. So how do housing providers evaluate such letters as legitimate documentation? Well, the letter has to include a couple things. It has to include the name of the patient, the doctor who is treating them, the reason for needing the pet. Remember, the connection between the disability and the pet has to be stated on the letter. Over the past few months, I've received many questions from our agents about this exact topic. So I wanted to get some of these questions answered for you um, and in case someone else has actually wondered the same thing. So our first question is, does the need to allow emotional support animals under the Fair Housing Act cover all properties? So great question. The Fair Housing Act does cover almost all properties. In very limited circumstances, the act exempts owner-occupied buildings with no more than four units, single-family houses sold or rented without the use of a licensed realtor or an agent, housing operated by religious organizations, and private clubs that limit occupancy to members. So if it's not one of those you know, four stipulations, then the Fair Housing Act does apply. The next question, my client rented their home and didn't allow pets. The tenant in the home adopted a dog while living there. And when the landlord found out and called her, she said, it's an emotional support animal. What can he do? Well, remember with an ESA, you can ask those two questions. Is this uh, animal needed because of a disability? If yes, then is the disability obvious? If it is, then you stop right there and you have to allow it. If the disability is not obvious, then you would ask the, uh, the tenant for a letter from a medical professional prescribing the animal. Um, if that's provided, then the animal is no longer considered a pet and therefore must be granted and must be allowed in the home. Let your client know that if there is any damage in the home, he can charge the person from their security deposit as he would normally do. Um, another thing is if the lease allows for periodic inspections in the property, your client can go in and do inspections of the home. And if there's damage discovered during one of those inspections, the tenant can be charged for it and have to repair it during the lease. So those are some options that you have if that happens. The third question if my client receives three offers on their home and one of them has a service animal, can he choose another offer without violating a Fair Housing Act? That's a great question. 
All applicants, regardless of having a service animal or not, should be evaluated the same. If there's a candidate that has stronger income and credit, you may select that offer. However, you shouldn't delay in processing an application or deny one's application simply because they've made a request for reasonable accommodation. In fact, there was actually a case where a condominium association requested detailed information and submitted continuous uh, inquiries to the tenant about their medical uh, history over the course of many months, the court found that this delay resulted in a constructive denial of the disability, um, of the disabilities accommodation request for the assistant animal. And that means that even though the condo didn't outright deny the request, their actions were interpreted as a denial because they delayed. So you don't want to delay processing or avoid um, processing an application uh, just because someone has an ESA and it would be easier to go with another applicant. Um, and then lastly, my client's insurance carrier does not allow pit bulls and labels them as aggressive breeds. Am I able to deny the request? Um, so yes, HUD does realize that uh, there could be some um, insurance carriers or um, someone that would drop the insurance or not allow the home to be insured anymore uh, because uh, if it states that no pit bulls and the tenant moves in a pit bull and it's going to put an undue financial burden on the landlord in order to accommodate it, then yes, you have the ability to deny that request. Um, that would be one of those, uh, you know, few instances and in when you could deny the request um, based on, you know, HUD's guidance. Um, so it looks like that's it for the questions that I had prepared for today. Um, as always, if you have any additional questions on emotional support animals or service animals, contact Rental Management 1 at 248-208-3882 or email us at rmo at rentalmanagement1.com. Um, and now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Uh, we're going to hand it over to Randy Ostrom with our Maintenance Minute. Slow down, slow down. Just give me a minute. Being the youngest of five, mealtime around our house was always an adventure for me. My parents never liked to waste food by throwing it away, so they would pile it up in front of me to consume, thus nicknaming me the Human Garbage Disposal. Consuming food in this manner will definitely take a toll on your body. But just like a real garbage disposal, you have to be aware of what's going in. A garbage disposal is a useful tool in a kitchen, but don't ever put bones, metal, glass, stone, or dirt in your garbage disposal. And don't ever, ever put your hand, fingers, or other body parts in the disposal. A couple of DIY tips for your garbage disposal. There is a little red reset button on the bottom of them. So you can reset them by hitting that button. Also, if it's seized up, most of them come with a tool that go in the bottom and then you can turn them free if they are locked up. Remember to always have the water running when you're operating your garbage disposal. And if you're ever servicing it, make sure it's off and unplugged. If you continue to have trouble with a garbage disposal, you may need to have a professional come and repair it or replace it. Well, it looks like my minute is up. But remember, when you're working with RMO, we're going to figure your problem out together. Oh, it looks like my dinner's ready.
Rental Management One is a full-service property management company managing properties throughout the state of Michigan. For more information, check out our website at www.rentalmanagement1.com.